This is not a test. This is not a test. Please remain calm. Unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. Seeking human victims. time journey through kill billy cinema on season 15 of the seeking human victims podcast we've been looking all up and down and all around throughout the history of kill billies and now we're back to another sequel and it's uh sequel to a movie we covered just a few episodes ago and it's by a director who is one of the only directors to ever have a seeking human victims episode done about one of his movies that actually listened to the fucking episode and commented on it and that's joe lynch and we are talking about wrong turn to dead end this week on the program wrapping up what has been a fantastic season i am always your host the maniacal minister of the occult the devil you know the original motherfucker the rev dan wilson and i am here with my gang of reality tv contestants going deep into the woods to try to survive some killbilly slaughter dreamboat annie they're just like you and me brother except uglier and a lot stronger. <laughs> Caught me off guard with that one a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and returning to the show, he's uh, made it for most of this season. We're glad to have him. Big Daddy Grizz, Jason Griswold. I only give it up to winners. <laughs> Damn it, man. And... Rounding out the cast, the one, the only, the great Muji. Look, Kimbo, you can't afford to make a wrong turn here. Oh, that's right. He did the thing where he said the thing. So this is a movie I had seen before. I'd seen it a few times because I'm a pretty big fan of Joe Lynch. And so, uh, you know, I believe I've seen all of his features and, uh, I, you know, big fan of the podcast that he does, the movie Crypt, which we previously talked about on the show. Um, and so I've heard him talk about this movie a whole lot over the years. So, yeah, I, I've watched it multiple times. I hilariously stumbled upon. So my my in-laws uh, are our own dear, lovely, beautiful Annie's parents. Uh, they have a voodoo account that has a whole shitload of a, a great library of digital movies on it. 
that they have given us access to, and I don't know what the fuck. I'm guessing it was like free with some other purchases or some shit, because here in this cornucopia of Disney and Marvel films and Star Wars movies is Wrong Turn 2. So I luckily did not have to rent it. I had it on digital copy uh, and and have had it on digital copy for years via access to that Voodoo account. So, you know, I've watched it a few times is what I'm saying. Yeah, um, I cannot provide any insight into why this movie is in my parents' collection. Um, I mean, I guess I could ask, but I feel like it's more fun to leave the mystery there. Um, but actually, uh, I've this is the first time I've seen it. So, you know... That's just, I don't know, it's kind of amusing that Dan's like, it's been there, so I've seen it a million times. I'm like, it's been there, and whatever. Yeah, this was my first time as well. Yeah, I've seen this movie a handful of times. Um, I own it on DVD. It came out during my uh, crazy time where I would just walk into Walmart and look at the new movies, and if there's anything that looked cool, especially essentially like any horror movie i would just buy it that tuesday um also was during my really big like time where i was just buying like all the shitty movies from blockbuster movie gallery too so yeah this was like a a movie that i bought the uh probably the week that it came out and um for some reason actually re-watching it here i haven't watched it in a few years it popped in my brain that, like, part of me had this and the first one confused. I mean, I know the first one because of, like, the cast and stuff, but there's, like, shit that happened in this movie that I was, like, totally thought was in the first one. Yeah, I mean, to me, well, I we're, I don't want to get into no final thoughts shit, but yes, I, I'm very familiar with it <laughs> and, and was going in. So we'll leave it at that for now, and we'll circle back around of course this is not only our season finale this is our halloween episode this will be airing on october the 31st so happy halloween to all of our groovy ghoulies out there who have supported the seeking human victims podcast for going on a few years now we started in 2018 so then the fourth year of the podcast we're going into year five soon we uh now going into 16 seasons and a ton of bonus episodes and it's patreon uh we're we're not the most popular podcast in the world but man we're steadily just trucking along and having a good time and we got a little bit of an audience so we're uh, we're thankful for you um this week our special musical guest will not be brought to you by horror pain gore death productions shout out to them Happy Halloween to them, and we'll see them next week. But this week, we're actually going to feature a contributor to the show, the guy who does our own theme song to Seeking Human Victims, as a a dear friend of many of the members of the podcast here, Shredderford, uh, the Synthwave Project by the amazing metal guitarist Eric Weatherford, has... A new EP out for Halloween called Long Live the Clump. Uh, It's got uh, some Jason Voorhees cover art here, I see. And so we're going to play a track off of that. We're going to play the opening track called Morph Trapping 
to give you some spooky synth Halloween vibes. Check out Shredderford. He's on Spotify. He's on iTunes. He's everywhere. Uh, you can find music online. You can go to his website as well, Shredderford.com, and buy some sick tunes. Order some sick t-shirts as well. Big shout out to our pal. We thank him for uh, supplying us with the music for the theme songs of the show, of course. And uh, we're happy to feature him here on the Halloween episode of Seeking Human Victims.
The Coroner's Report. All right, so uh, this might be a breezier episode than normal because we're out. We have a lot of familiar moving parts on here, and so. Uh, certainly going to refer you to the Patreon a lot to unlock that archive for $1 a month to get you access to all 15 seasons. You can get like two to three seasons still hanging out there in the podcast feed, but those expire over time. So you want to be able to be able to access the entire Seeking Human Victims collection. And to do that, you can just plop a dollar down at patreon.com slash scare. And get all of that. So the first reference, the reason I mentioned that, of course, is directed by Joe Lynch, just like we said at the top of the hour. Uh, Joe Lynch is a guy who's had a great career, and he's still turning out great content right now, working on the Creep Show series on Shudder. He's got a new feature coming out. He just did that Point Blank remake for Netflix a couple of years ago. Uh, really got a lot going on, but we went really deep in depth on the Mayhem episode on uh, the season that was the decade of death where we looked at the best horror films from 2010 to 2020 and mayhem his film about (laughs) an office romance slash catastrophe uh slash biological warfare outbreak which uh, is a great film go check out that movie and check out that episode of the podcast that was the episode joe lynch listened to and put over nicely on Twitter. We really appreciated him doing that. Uh, but if you want to know about his career, his work with Adam Green, his work on the Movie Crit podcast, all of that, we go into great detail on the Mayhem episode. But we're back here talking about this. is actually his directorial debut in a feature film. He'd done acting work. He'd done some, some uh, filming, cinematography. He'd done all kinds of different jobs in the movie industry on different projects. This is theatrical or his uh, directorial debut in a feature. And the plot of this film, so the first wrong turn, you know, is very, like, serious and has a very serious, scary tone. There's not a joke really to be had, uh, nothing of the sort. It's It has a very ominous tone. It's kind of punishing movie. This, uh, Joe Lynch takes an entirely different angle with this where he sets it in a reality show. And so the reality show contestants... And one named Kimberly is in the opening scene is driving through the West Virginia country. And while driving, she accidentally hits a teenager. She goes to help him, but he turns out to be one of the inbred cannibals. Oh, no. And he bites her fucking lip off and it's gross. And there's something with that one that he's like, uh, he's like double jointed or something because he's able to like be thrown around and kind of just like get up and pop his shit back into place and shake it off. So it like, must be one of his tricks to throw himself out in front of cars to uh, stop potential prey. And it's not just a, a reality show contestant named Kimberly. It's Kimberly Caldwell of American Idol fame. This was like peak 15 minutes of fame for her. She's playing herself. That's important. And as she attempts to escape there, she runs into Three Finger, who's uh, returning from the first movie. They're looking a little different. Uh, he splits her in half with his axe, and then they drag her away. So that right there sets the tone for the movie. Uh, right out of the gate, you have a great kill. You have this great celebrity cameo of somebody who's just on American Idol, so they're topical. 
Um, and, you know, it really helps sell the whole reality show angle that they're doing, just like Annie mentioned. But that fucking kill is so spectacular. Like, right out of the gate. Like, because, uh, you know, the, the camera follows you all the way down to her leg, so it's a really slick cut where they, I guess, cut in, uh, you know, a dummy or whatever uh, body parts that they use when the axe goes down the middle of her, the guts fall out. And then the two legs follow. Like, it's just so fucking well done. Such a marvelous kill. Top notch. Yeah, it's really good. And right before that, when she gets her face ripped off, like, that is also a gnarly special effect where you're kind of, like, immediately like, oh, like, this is what we're going to get in this movie, which is awesome. It's also a little bit of, like, a little bit like Scream where they have, you know, the big star, Drew Barrymore, and, you know, the opening scene and then killed right away. Yeah. I gotta say it really surprised me. I was kind of expecting just a rehash of the first one, but it was pretty spectacular and pretty graphic. So good shocker right off. And then we start to meet our contestants. One of them is Colonel Dale Murphy played by Henry Rollins. Uh, He's hosting a survival reality game show called the apocalypse ultimate survivalist to be specific so it's like they fictionally set them in the apocalypse but they're really trying to survive and that's kind of the idea of the show uh kimberly of course doesn't show up so one of the producers mara takes her place and then the rest of the cast we have uh, uh, the lesbian iraqi war veteran amber the lingerie model elena former football player Jake, skateboarder Tonesy and Gra- Jonesy, and graphic artist Nina. So you have some very stereotypical characters set up. They start filming this reality show, all hell breaks loose, like the cannibals attack, you know the rest. Uh, <laughs> the music, I think the music really gets an upgrade in this one as well, because it is done by the great fucking Bear McCrary, who is one of the top composers in cinema today. You can go back to our Child's Play remake episode from season 10, Revenge of the Remakes, and hear more about Bear McCrary's story career, where he scored The Walking Dead and the Hatchet movies and other things, and has just become a titan of composition, you know, well on his way to being in the the same conversations as guys like John Williams, etc. Um and and I really think he nails the the like heavy fucking pulsating like rhythmic, but there's the banjo there behind it. I don't know. It's like it's totally different vibe than the first movie, and I really love it. And then the cinematography was done by Robin Lowen, and uh, again a lot of cool shots. You know, Joe Lynch uh, certainly the the idea man behind a lot of them, but great cinematography nonetheless. I you know like just we just talked about that. The great shot from the first kill, and there's a lot of uh, experimental camera work in this. We'll talk a little more about that in the auditorium. Talk about the cast. We had Erica Learson as our final girl, Nina Pappas. You can go back to our episode also in the Revenge of the Remake season, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003. Definitely go check that out. You can learn more about Erica Learson's career. Uh, She was our final girl here and uh, put through a lot of hell in this one, watching a lot of people die. (laughs) It's a pretty brutal chapter. Um, She was a little bit of a surprise for me to be the final girl um, because towards the end it got down to two. And I was actually thinking that um, 
she wasn't going to be the final girl, but hey, she was. So I don't know if it was supposed to be that way or not, but she she survived. Yeah, I think you're right that they they kind of like set up a couple of different people. Like, you know, a couple of them quickly died, but like, you know, they introduced her as being like really cold, like right off the bat. And I think that they were definitely trying to misdirect you because they're for a minute too the girl who steps in that was the producer that has to be on the show like they were definitely dropping like hints that kind of made you think that she might end up being the one that went I mean she died pretty early but you know for the first like 20 minutes or so of the movie they were really setting her up to be in that spot so that was a uh, interesting way to do it right on we had the great Henry Rollins as Dale Murphy, of course, the musical legend. I uh, was in Black Flag from 1981 1986. Had his own solo success in the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, he, you know, even beyond music, has started a record label and publishing company and spoken word albums. And, uh, you know, the Rollins band, he's hosted radio shows. He's been on all kinds of MTV and other shows. He had the Henry Rollins show. He was on 120 Minutes, on Jackass. So he uh, broke off into acting, of course. That's why we see him here uh, recently. And Well, I say recently. It's probably been a fucking decade now. But he had a great recurring role on Sons of Anarchy as a really hateable white supremacist in the Aryan Nation gang of bikers. Uh, and then he was uh, even done some animated work. He was in The Legend of Korra <laughs> doing some voiceover work. Uh, he's campaigned for lots of political causes and charities, as well as the West Memphis Free, uh, West Memphis Three, LGBT rights, the end of war, and more. Uh, Henry Rollins showing up here, bringing some star power to this, because, you know, uh, the first movie certainly had a lot of the, uh, the young stars of the day. And this one, a little bit lower budget, more straight-to-video movie. It needed some body people knew besides the cameo at the beginning. And uh, Henry Rollins was certainly somebody people that watch horror movies would know. Yeah, I thought he definitely added an element of fun to it because that's so not Henry Rollins, you know, the straight-laced military guy. But I think he, uh, he was funny. His character was pretty tweaked. I think he was just, uh, you know... Good deal overall for the entire film. Yeah, unfortunately, like he did a great job, but um, it's unfortunately uh, it's hard for me to not see him on a screen and be like, "That's Henry Rollins." Like no matter what he's doing, who, what character is like, "There's Henry Rollins doing that." Because you know, because I mean, I grew up with him being one of, you know, he was like on VH1 explaining the things I wasn't alive for yet. I was uh, surprised with his journey in the film. I uh, I really liked that they kind of make you think that character is going to get off quick. And then he doesn't and makes a really big comeback. And you almost think he's going to survive. And then they pull the rug out from under you. There's some great, uh, great manipulation and suspense there from, from old Joe Lynch. Yeah. I do have to wonder if the name was in reference to the Atlanta Braves baseball great, but who knows? There's, I'd say, upwards of like a 95% chance that somebody involved in that decision was a Braves fan. I like like the, uh, 
he was good at it, but I like the scene where the um he calls out the guy for uh talking about hillbillies. He says, You're not propped at stereotypes, are you, son? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Good good stuff from Henry Rollins. He was really on his game here. And then we had actor Texas Battle as Jake Washington. What a great fucking name. Uh, <laughs> he's a film and TV star. He's mainly known for his role on the CBS soap opera The Bold and the Beautiful. He also established the Texas Battle Foundation, which helps underprivileged children in South Africa. It does not fund Texas battles. <laughs> He's also known for his roles in the movies Coach Carter, Final Destination 3, and Dragon Ball Evolution. He was also in the remake of The Legend of Boggy Creek, and he was in the After Dark original flick The Task, as well as the MTV television show Death Valley. And uh, another really strong performance. I think he's one of the better. Like, there's a lot of layers to his his character, and there doesn't seem to be that at the first, really. I would just like to, um, since it is technically season finale here, go ahead and nominate uh, Mr. Texas Battle for the name Hall of Fame. Holy shit, we haven't had one of those in a long time. Annie bringing it back for the old school supporters. So cool that we were able to add a new one. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that. Yeah, I mean, speak now or forever hold your peace, but you have to be real dumb to be against it. That's a badass name. We would like to welcome Texas Battle to the Seeking Human Victims name Hall of Fame. All right, then we had Alexa Palladino as Mara Stone. She was the aforementioned producer. Uh, she was in a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. She was in Manny and Lowe, The Adventures of Sebastian Cole, Find Me Guilty, Boardwalk Empire, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, The Midnight Swim, The Irishman, and No Man of God. She was also in the AMC show Halt and Catch Fire. Uh, she was one half of the dream pop duo Exit Music with her former husband Devin Church, releasing the albums The Decline of the West, Passage, and recognition and she has a sick ass kill where she she's running from the as a whole that whole scene is great really all of the tension build when they're in the house uh the one hillbilly lady is having a baby uh the other one is helping seize them hiding in the bedroom they go try to get in like they're they're trying to bust through the door there's just all of this tension and fucking drama and they escape but uh, only one escapes, and that was our final girl. So Mara does not. She gets an axe to the side of the head instead. Not only do they have to quickly escape, they had to escape out, like, the toilet hole. Out the shithole. <laughs> right out that some bitch. <sighs> yeah, you gotta think that she was like, couldn't you have killed me three minutes earlier before I climbed through shit? Right. <laughs> if we knew how this was gonna go anyway. And then we had Daniela Alonzo as Amber Williams. She's a former fashion model and actress. She's appeared in a number of horror films. She was actually in the Hills Have Eyes 2 remake. Uh, she was in this, of course. She's in the NBC show Revolution, the medical drama The Night Shift, 
Uh, she was also still going. She's in the uh, first season of the TNT crime drama Animal Kingdom. And in 2019, was uh, starting the third season of the CW show Dynasty. So she's still at it, uh, still rocking, and did a great job in this film. This is who I thought was going to be our final girl, to be honest. Yeah, I kind of did too. Just instead just meets a sad end, hanging upside down with an arrow through her eye. Yeah, she, yeah, they just... She was way too, like, I thought she was, you know, they, they were, I mean, as Muji pointed out, there's probably, like, a choice, you know, that they were, which, which way is it going to go? But they, they kind of built her up a little bit, and then she kind of got just, kind of, it wasn't, like, I mean, it wasn't lame, but compared to some of these other deaths, it was kind of lackluster. It's a double arrow, like, two kills with one arrow, which is kind of cool, but I don't know. They did so many other really crazy kills in this, and it seems kind of tame. Yeah. It was abrupt. That was kind of the point, I guess. And, uh, we had Steve Braun as Matt Jonesy Jones. He's a Canadian actor from Winnipeg. He was in the show called The Immortal, where he and Lorenzo Lamas hunted demons. Sounds like a good time. He was Sounds also like in Supernatural. <laughs> he was also in The Trip, an independent film about coming of age in the HIV era. He's also in Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. He was the leader of the obnoxious gang of punks. The ones in the in the convenience yes. store. It's extreme. Yes. <laughs> oh my God! It's so fucking extreme, so guys. Yes. He was also in the movie The Skulls Three, and this. He's also in a horror movie called Pterodactyl. And then we had Matthew Curry Holmes as Michael M. Epstein. He's a multi-award winning screenwriter, director, and actor. He's been in over 40 films and TV shows. He was in Firewall, The Fog, and of course this. Uh, He was a director as well. He directed the supernatural thriller The Curse of Buckout Road. Starring Danny Glover and Evan Ross. Won a lot of festival awards in 2019. Uh, He also wrote, directed, and composed the title track to Traces, a coming-of-age drama set in the ever-changing world, the music industry, starring Pablo Schreiber, Sosie Bacon, and rock and roll icon Rick Springfield, Matthew Curry Holmes, ladies and gentlemen. And then we had Crystal Lowe as Elena Garcia, Canadian actress, director, and model, best known for other Scream Queen roles in addition to this. She's in Children of the Corn Revelation. She was in Final Destination 3. She was in Black Christmas. Wrong Turn 2 Dead End. And she played Rita Hayworth in the Harmark Channel Signed, Sealed, Delivered television and TV uh, film series from 2013 to 2031. Meets a a very sad end. Uh, you know, she's definitely the only real, like, uh, sex appeal in the movie. She's she's definitely the TNA here, which you don't get any in the first Strong Turn movie. So, uh, but, you know, she goes to try to, uh, she goes to film the scene. She's, uh, you know, having the uh, affair with the, the camera operator. And then uh, one of the hillbillies is jerking off to them performing oral on the beach and well his old lady gets mad about it and goes and stabs the shit out of her (laughs) so his old lady that's also his sister yes important detail we mustn't forget 
It's a brutal, uncomfortable kill. Because not only that, then they start making out on her corpse. <laughs> and then they cut her face off, and it's their names are literally brother and sister. Sister puts her face on while they do it. Like they're yeah. fucking, and they come up on they come up on her, and they're like, "Oh my god! Oh no, Elena!" And sister like whips off Elena's face and is like, "Ah, it's me." Because you know, dimension to role playing there. <laughs> what, was that just like, yes yeah, for a trap, or was that part of the kink, or is it serving a dual purpose there? I don't know. Uh, sister looked at brother and was like, "Is this what you wanted, motherfucker?" Yeah, I, that's what I got out of it. No, sister fucker. And he was like, "Kinda, yeah." Uh, and then, as we mentioned, we had Kimberly Caldwell as herself, uh, the American Idol contestant, uh, also entertainment correspondent on various shows on the TV Guide Network, the illustrious TV Guide Network. Uh, she released her say, debut man. album, <laughs> What Muji. You gotta fucking remember, like, switching through the channels in the last days of the TV Guide Network and her fucking talking about shit. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Well, what's really interesting to me is that, like, I don't exactly remember what year it was that she was on American Idol, but I was the Kelly Clarkson season, so whatever year that was. Um, but when you do that show, if you make it into the top 10, Fox owns your soul for, like, like five years or something like that, to where, like, if they're, like, if they call you up and are like, hey, you need to go do this – you have to go do it. And you like, they, it's insane. So I'm just wondering if, because this was, this was a Fox production. Like, was she, how much did she really want to do this movie? And how much money did she end up making off of it? Good questions. All good questions. Do you think that they sent her to do this when they sent, uh, Kelly Clarkson to go make Justin and Kelly? And then yes, actually, they- if you want to ever talk about that, Muji, I actually have a lot of information about it. So, and then, and then when everything like came out in the wash, Kimberly Caldwell was like, oh, I was actually in the better movie, as it turns out." Yes, no, yes, it, yes. If we can have like a, a whole different podcast about that, if you want, Muji. Well, y'all knock yourselves out, but <laughs> I think I'll pass on that one. We had Wayne Robson as old timer. You can see the original film on our last season. Probably still free out there. Uh, actually, no, it's not from last season. It's earlier this season, so I know it's still free. It's out there on the feed for you. Go back and check that out. Uh, Wayne Robson plays the old-timer. who's revealed to be the father of the clan in this one, and he's the only actor that returns from the original film. You can't imagine why that might be. <laughs> then... Uh, we had Ken Kersinger as Paul. Now, you might remember us talking about him. One of our most popular seasons ever. The Long Summer at Camp Blood, where we talked about the entire Friday the 13th franchise. And we ended it with the spectacular look at Freddy versus Jason. One of our longest episodes ever. One of our most popular episodes ever. And Ken Kersinger was the man who uh, too many jeers replaced Kane Hodder in the franchise for that movie. Uh, but did a great job, you know, as as discussed. But, uh, yeah, so he's back here as Paul, 
uh, one of the, the hillbillies with the cleft palate. And then just a real quick rundown of the rest of the cast. Ashley Earl is Ma, Clint Carlton is brother, Rory Ro- uh, Teo is sister, Jeff Scrutton is three fingers, Cedric D'Souza as Neil, John Scott is Wojo, Bro Gilbert as Chris, and of course a great cameo from Patton Oswald as Tommy, the voice of the agent on the phone in the opening scene. Shooting dates and locations. We shot... Uh, or this shot early 2007. You couldn't really find exact dates, but uh, early 2007 is what I'm estimating because it came out in October of that year. And uh, it was shot in Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba. No, I'm sorry. Shit. I had that information in my notes and I somehow deleted that information. So bear with me. It was in British Columbia, in Vancouver. Ah, Vancouver. I was close. Not Winnipeg, but Vancouver, a location for many, many movies and TV shows and most CW productions. And yet the other one was shot in Ontario on the other side of Canada. That's odd. Odd and interesting with that odd and interesting fact. Let's open the door to the auditorium. Strange truths and morbid curiosities will be revealed inside. The auditorium. Odd and interesting facts. Kimberly Campbell was originally not supposed to be her. She was a fine cameo, but they were really swinging for the fences. They really wanted to get Eliza Dushku playing not the character she played in the previous film, but herself, an actress... Uh, you know, kind of breaking the fourth wall a little bit, and she was supposed to get killed in that opening scene, but uh, they they couldn't make that happen. Yes, apparently they decided it would be too confusing for the audience. I gotta wonder how interested she maybe was in doing that as well. (laughs) Right. No, that had absolutely nothing to do with it. They were definitely just concerned that it would be confusing. (laughs) According to Joe Lynch on the DVD commentary, this film used a whopping, massive, gargantuan 300 gallons of blood. Gallons of the stuff. The cackling laughter was a post-production choice by Joe Lynch, who was uh, had it added in loops. It was after unsuccessful attempts from the actor Three Finger uh, that was, was played by. And it prompted a last-second ADR to get the voice similar to the character's trademark laugh in the film. The original script involved two surviving characters of the first movie, but this idea was later scrapped when it was decided to make this a direct-to-video film. Erica Learson did a lot of her own stunts in this movie, and she was roughed up quite a bit, so good on her. Um, The scene where she was chained to the chair with the barbed wire around her arms, I know that was like a gimmick, but looked really painful, and she did a really good job of selling it, I thought. Yeah, I thought she did overall pretty well in that scene, kind of a throwback to Texas Chainsaw, where, you know, she starts to lose her shit, so, yep. Apparently this is the only film in the franchise that does not contain one scene of drug use. And speaking of Kimberly Caldwell a moment ago, it was her film debut. She worked for only two days on this movie. Well, I, would, I mean, 
I feel like that's actually pretty good. It only took him two days to to film that insanity. Yeah, don't disagree with that. In the original script, in the scene where Elena tries to seduce Jake and later has oral sex with Michael, she was also supposed to be completely nude during the entire scene and go skinny dipping after Jake leaves both her and Michael. While in the movie, she's only topless for a short amount of time. Could have been a comfort thing, could have been a actress thing, could have been a director thing. Who knows? I don't think it was a comfort thing, uh, considering during an interview, uh, she was asked if it was difficult performing nude in front of mostly men. Um, And she said, being naked has always been a beautiful thing to me. I have never been shy about my body, and I have often found it strange how uncomfortable people were with it, since it's truly our natural state, but to each their own. Yeah, well, there you go. You've been a choice out of her hands. (laughs) It's the second movie that Crystal Lowe and Texas Battle did together. They were also in Final Destination 3 together. When they were doing all the cast announcements, Henry Rollins was the first one to be announced. Apparently, Joe Lynch wanted to have more inbred characters in the film, even more inbreds, but but he couldn't because there were already too many characters in the movie. Makeup department said, no. (laughs) We missed uh, out on there being a husband. (laughs) Yes, no, no husband. He also edited his own teaser trailer for this with music from McCrary and released it to Dread Central after he was disappointed with the first teaser Fox released a month before. Want it done right. Balty move. Apparently Nina was supposed to be two months pregnant in the original script. And the song she's listening to at the beginning of the film is called Wake Pig from the progressive metal band Three. Apparently Daniela Alonso and Texas Battle both guest starred on One Tree Hill as well. Daniela Alonzo was also in, um, as mentioned earlier, The Hills Have Eyes 2, which was also released in the same year as this movie. Yup. And, uh, you know, they're supposed to be well far in the woods, but you can see some power lines there in the opening bit of this. So they at least made it out there to get them some electricity. So this being a straight-to-video movie. Don't really have box office receipts, but we do have some numbers, so let's look at them. Look at the numbers! Numbers of the Beast. Numbers of the Beast. The movie was released... On uh, August 25th, 2007 was the first showing at Frat Fest and uh, September 21st of 2007 at Fantastic Fest. Uh, budget was $4 million. $4 million and uh, it uh, went straight to video and uh, where it estimated that it grossed around $9 million in home video sales in the U.S. alone. So that's just making monies. Yeah, it was right in that sweet spot when DVDs were still a very profitable market and both rentals and sales proved that and Wrong Turn 2 made a little bit of money here it seems. Uh, one of the critics say, well, pretty good reviews, actually. It is a 70% as it sits on Rotten Tomatoes. Uncle Creepy Steve Barton of Dread Central gave it four out of five stars, saying it's a hot ticket for some gore-soaked backwoods mayhem that gets even better with repeated viewings and lots of booze. 
Brian Collins of Bloody Disgusting stated that what could have been a cheap and lazy cash-in turned out to be one of the year's better genre offerings. Uh, David Johnson of DVD Verdict said it is derivative and stupid, but very entertaining. Uh, DVD Talk rated the film three and a half out of five stars, called it consistently entertaining. Fangoria's Michael Gingold wrote that Lynch directed the film with all the energy of a longtime hardcore horror fan, getting the chance to let it all hang out. In his debut feature. And David Ferracci from the horror-themed website, Chud, believe the film has its heart in the right place. Where Fugernet's Scott Weinberg compared it to Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, calling it a fast-paced and completely unapologetic love letter to the old-school 80s splatter sequels. And then uh, Anton Battelle from Eye for Film said it was a superior self-paradic sequel. And it won the Best Direct-to-Video Film Award at the Gerard Mer Film Festival. So, it doesn't have a ton of legacy. Won some awards. It's kind of the most loved, wrong-turned film of, of all of them from a lot of fans. Um, that's something to mention for sure. And, uh, of course, it spawned many more sequels. So it was successful enough that they keep on cranking these out. We are now into, like, six or seven territory. So it's they just keep fucking going. Uh, and if you want to own this film, you certainly can. We mentioned it was direct-to-video, and it's been re-released a couple times, and it can tell you all about it. So it was originally released on DVD on October 9th of 2007, and it was an unrated version, and it included extras such as commentary by Joe Lynch and Erica Learson and Henry Rollins. A second commentary was done with the writers Terry Meyer and Al Septine, and a featurette on the making of the film and trailer. Um, and then there's actually a third commentary track that was recorded by Joe Lynch that was for some reason left off. Fox decided not to include it in the DVD release. Uh, so it was made available for download through Dread Central seems to be where he goes. Um, those are his people or were, I'm not sure his current status, but uh, so there's a third one there that did not make it either on the Blu-ray release that was released in September of 2009. Um, so seems like the they moved all, the special features were included on the Blu-ray, but that third commentary never did make it onto a home release. And as of right now, it is currently only available for digital rental online and is not currently streaming anywhere, like for free or subscription. Yep. So unless your in-laws have a secret voodoo account with a digital copy, then you're going to have to cough up some money for this one. But maybe you too will stumble upon such a treasure. Well, no sense in tiptoeing around it. Shit far. It's time for final motherfucking thoughts on Wrong Turn 2. Here on this special season finale, the extended season finale, we got two more extra Kill Billy episodes for your pleasure, courtesy of our executive producer to your patron, Casey Oliver. We have three spots open for executive producer to your patrons. If you want to jump on that bandwagon, $20 a month will get you access to choosing your own custom episode every month of whatever movie you want and boy are we happy to report some we'll we'll we'll, we'll tell you that 
before we leave. But final motherfucking thoughts on Wrong Turn 2. Because I kind of love this movie. Um, you know, as I've mentioned I'm a fan of Joe Lynch and most of the stuff he's done. And I think, you know, for a first time outing here, this is very strong. Uh, it kind of corrects a lot of the things that I didn't like about the first movie. The first movie has a very dull and drab and very serious pace. This movie injects some fun into that concept. Uh, it's a little more funny. It's a little more whimsical. Uh, there's a lot more gore. Um, it's just really kind of, I think, embraces what it is better than the first film. And it's just a more entertaining film to watch than the first film. Uh, a lot of great, gory, nasty, mean kills. A uh, lot of, of cool set pieces. A lot of great special effects. Great music. It's very strong all around. I think it is the strongest entry in the Wrong Turn franchise myself. I think it's pretty safe to say that that is the general consensus, that this is the best film in the franchise. Um, I don't think you're going to upset anybody with that that hot take. Um, I did want to, before I get into my full final thoughts, we forgot to bring up um, an odd and interesting fact in the auditorium. This movie features the first snorri cam kill. Um, a snorri cam, you might not know the name of it, but that is when the um, camera mount that goes around the actor's waist with the camera face level. So the background is moving and the person is stable. And this movie, uh, it's we mentioned the kill. It's when she gets the, the axe to the head that's tossed at her, um, Mara. And that was the first ever. And the uh, behind-the-scenes featurette on the DVD extras shows how they did that. Just wanted to throw that out there because we did mention it earlier. So I want to make sure we got that in there. But as far as this movie is concerned, I really liked this movie as well. I thought it was really fun. Um, a lot a lot better than the first one, of course. Um, it's still got that kind of, I want to say campy, but it's not even really campy. It's just kind of, you know, it. it's a homage to 80s slasher movies. So it's that's what it is. It's not necessarily like, top-notch acting but it's 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 fine and it's all serviceable and it was really fun to watch and it's ridiculous and you should give it a chance if you haven't seen it yeah i agree with those sentiments uh if i recall correctly i may have been the only one that liked the first film of this group but i didn't think the first film was that bad but i think this is definitely an improvement uh, especially for a guy's first time out making a movie you know, there's obvious nods to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like I mentioned before, which should be obvious to anybody. There, you know, there's nods to a lot of stuff, but you know, it's it's like a good sandwich. You know, it's nothing new or revolutionary, but you know, you enjoy it. Um, some entertaining performances, especially from Henry Rollins. A uh, lot of lot of very disgusting scenes, you know, involving cannibalism, involving inbreeding. So they're, uh, you know. They want to uh, they want to disgust you, and I found this one pretty disgusting. Which it's been a while since since this made me go ah. But uh, you know, overall, it was just a fun ride and a couple of twists and turns. You know, with who they kill off, how quickly they kill them off, and you know, definitely uh, subverted your expectations. Though I try to avoid that phrase, but it's a good time. You know, it's worth the ninety minutes. So check it out. Muji, are you on mute? Yeah, my bad. 
on. All right. So, yeah, I thought this movie was also super fun, had lots of uh, really good gory kills, like we talked about before. Um, thought that the protagonists were likeful or like likable enough that there were more than one to root for. And yeah, just a really um, big difference from the first movie. Um, they decided to take it like in a way more fun direction and take it held up way better. Awesome. Well, it's always great to end a season on something everybody liked. So keep those good vibes going into next season. And a couple of housekeeping items, of course. We like to take a couple of weeks off in between these seasons to recalibrate, get a get a little break, get some episodes in the can, etc. So give us a little bit, but we'll be back. First of all, with a bonus episode, Casey Oliver comes through again. He's not going to extend the next season. He loved that idea for this season, but he's not going to extend the next season. But what he does want for his next bonus episode is the single most talked about horror film of 2022. The little engine that could of horror the thing that has proved that true word of mouth is still the most powerful form of advertising. Um, it's become a phenomenon and it just takes no fucking prisoners and pulls no punches. And it's just so it's kind of a miracle that it's happened on its like $400,000 budget. The thing is already, it makes a couple million more every weekend. Now it seems they, they keep rolling out into more. It hits streaming October 31st on Screambox. So be sure to check that out. Uh, you can also purchase it, Blu-ray, DVD, what have you, on demand. People have passed out. They've thrown up. They have been taken to the hospital because of this goddamn movie. We're covering Terrifier 2 on the next episode of Seeking Human Victims. And that's not all. Did you think I was done? I'm not fucking done. Don't go anywhere. Season 16 is official. And in a couple of weeks, we'll be back with the start of that. And oh, it may be the best single lineup of films we have ever selected. I'm not even going to tell you what they are yet. I'm going to let you find out. It's a surprise. But season 16 is called The Devil Made Me Do It as we look at the best in satanic horror. Oh, yes. Thank you, my lovely co-hosts, for another great season. I love you all, and I thank you for your contributions. Thank you to our listeners for checking out Seeking Human Victims and keeping us afloat. We will see you in a few weeks. Keep one foot in the gutter and one fist in the gold. Good night. This is not a test. This is not a test. Please remain calm. Unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. Seeking human victims. Music 
is provided by Shredderford, as well as KD Grant. All other music and audio clips are property of their respective.